Well, good morning, church, and what an amazing time of worship. What some great declarations that we were able to make this morning. Now, today we're going to actually wrap up the series, Overcoming Spiritual Vertigo. We're going to wrap it up today, and, and I, my prayer has been this, is that as we've gone through this series, I pray that this series has been as helpful to you as I know it has been to me. As we've looked at this series, we've just learned some stuff. We've learned that in our lives, we are going to face moments of spiritual vertigo. We're going to have moments where things come into our life that weigh us down or maybe sin that entangles us. And we just know that we are going to face seasons of our life where we're wrestling with spiritual vertigo. But what we've also learned is this, that if we do nothing with it, if we let the vertigo continue, the path that it ends up taking us down, a path of idolatry, maybe a path of shattered faith. But we've also learned this, that if we truly do what the writer of Hebrews said, and we put aside the weighty stuff, we put aside the sin that easily entangles us, and we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, it will produce some things in our life. Well, Doug, what will produce? We've talked about those. First of all, it produces a courage to live by faith. It produces a strength to face whatever's in front of us. It also produces a determination to stand firm, as we talked about last week. But the last thing it produces I want to talk about this morning is this. It produces a faith that is unsinkable. Now hear that. A faith that is unsinkable. A faith that stands through the course of time. Not a faith that is rocky, not a faith that can easily be shattered, but a faith that is sturdy and it's rooted. So the last thing I think keeping our eyes on Jesus will produce in our lives is a faith that is unsinkable. And so today we're going to look at a guy who had unsinkable faith, both spiritually and literally, and see the truths that we can glean from that. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11 is where I want to be this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, and really want to read just one verse this morning, and that one verse tells us a big story about a guy who made a big difference in the kingdom of God, and it's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, and it says this, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So as we look at this one verse, the question I want us to think about is this, is, you know, when you think about an unsinkable faith, what does it mean for us to have an unsinkable faith? What does it mean for Noah to have an unsinkable faith? And what does it mean for you and I to have a faith is unsinkable. I think there's four things that we find here that it means. First of all, it means embracing the warnings and the promises of God. Embracing the warning and promises of God. It says here by faith, in, in chapter 11, verse 7, by faith, <clears throat> Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen. So what we find out is this. First of all, God warned Noah. What did he warn Noah about? He warned him about something that Noah had never seen before. A flood. In fact, many scholars would go back, and I totally agree with this, that not only he had not seen flood, he probably had never seen rain before. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It's God is speaking, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. In other words, in the early days, there was no need for rain. The dew of the ground was enough moisture as it came up as we go out early in the morning and see the dew on the ground. That dew was enough to keep the vegetation and the plants and the trees alive. 
And so when, when, what God tells Noah to do, God says, Noah, man, this is what's going on. And, and he, he gives him a warning about a future judgment, and it's going to include a flood. Well, it's like, okay, I hear you, Lord, but what in the world is a flood? Because if a flood happens because of an excessive amount of rain, what's, what's rain, Lord? I don't know what rain is either. All I know is that dew is what takes care of the ground. So God gave Noah a warning, a warning of something he had never seen before. It was almost as if rain and flood would have been a new concept for Noah. But look what he also says to Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verse 17. He says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh and which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. So when God is speaking to Noah, he warns him of this great flood. He warns him that there's rain coming, something that would have been a new concept to Noah. And then he also says, oh, by the way, Noah, the reason I'm bringing this flood is because the world with which you live, the people that I've created, the people I've given myself to, they've become so wicked, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Every living thing shall die. So God warns Noah, here's what's coming, man. There's some rain there's a flood, and it's going to destroy every living thing. But not only did God give Noah a warning, God also gave Noah a promise too. In fact, look what it says in Genesis 6. If you skip down one verse from what I read, Genesis 6 verse 18, it says this. God speaking to Noah, but I will establish my covenant with who? With you. And you shall come into the ark, and you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. So God made Noah this promise. Well, I'm going to destroy the earth, and I'm going to bring waters and floods, something that is a new concept to you, Noah, something you've never heard of before, you've never seen before. I just want you to know, when all this destruction comes, I'm going to save your family. I'm going to rescue your family. Noah, I made a covenant with Abraham. I'm making a covenant with you, Noah. Noah, you are the man that I'm going to save. You and your family and your wife, your boys and their wives, I'm going to rescue you. That's what I'm going to do for you. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. Let's just be Noah for a moment. God's speaking to you, which had to be something of great awesomeness in the moment, right? I mean, when's the last time you heard the audible voice of God? I've never heard that. And so I can't imagine this awesome moment that Noah's having. And as Noah speaks to God, he's telling himself, he's warning him of things that Noah has no uh, basis to understanding. He doesn't know what water is as far as rain and flood. He doesn't get that. But yet God makes him a covenant and says, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. And here's the point. With God telling Noah things that made no sense, things he never experienced, Noah embraced the warning and the promise of God by faith. Did you get that when we read that a while ago? It says this, that by faith, Noah being warned concerning his events, went and built an ark. In other words, even though what God told Noah made no sense, he couldn't figure it out. He had nothing to kind of calibrate it to and go, I, I understand what you're saying, God. No, he understood nothing. All it says this is that Noah was able to embrace the warning and the promises of God by faith. He just trusted God. Now, I want to pause there for a minute and give a little bit of parentheses because I know if you've been in church a long time, we always talk about living by faith, living by faith, living by faith, have more faith, trust God more. Well, here's something I want you to think about. What does that really mean? I'm really bad sometimes in my life about saying words and saying things and assuming everybody else knows what I mean. So when we talk about having faith in God and really trusting God, what does that really 
mean? Well, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 does tell us in verse 1. He says this, 11.1, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So here's what faith is. Faith is being sure about some things and it's being certain about other things. So, Doug, what is faith? Well, let me tell you, I encourage you to write this down. Here's what faith is. Faith is being sure that God is who he said he is and certain that he will do all that he's promised he will do. Did you get that? Faith is being sure that God is who he said he is and certain that he will do all that he's promised he will do. And see, listen, that's the kind of faith that Noah had. Yeah, it didn't really make sense to him. Yeah, this was something he never experienced before. But at the end of the day, Noah was sure that God is who he said he is. And he was confident that God was going to do all he promised he to do. That yes, God was going to bring the floodwaters to destroy. But yes, God was going to keep his promise and deliver his family. That's the kind of faith Noah had. He understood and believed and trusted that God is who he said he is. And that he will do all that he promised he will do. And here's my question. Do we have that kind of faith? I know if you've been in church for a while, we talk about you yeah, yeah, have faith in God and trust God. But I'm talking what we understand about faith is deeper than just this basic trust, like you falling off a chair and trusting that we're going to catch you. I mean, I know that's a picture of what trust is, but it's deeper than that. Truly putting faith in God, truly trusting God is saying, okay, I believe everything that's in this book. I believe every promise that's in here that God is who he said he is and that he will keep everything he's promised. But it's also looking at God's word going, I believe every warning in here too. I believe every consequence in here. I believe if I rebel against God and don't live a life according to what God wants, that God is going to do what God has promised he would do to his children whom he loves, which is what? Discipline them. See, I'm convinced with all in my heart this, that if we had the kind of faith that Noah had, an unsinkable faith, a faith that embraced the warning and the promises of God, it would truly change how we make decisions in our life. If we really believed this book and trusted this and put our faith in God, believing he is who he says he is and he will do all these promised he will do, we would live with a greater sense of tension, a greater sense of reverence, and a greater sense of accountability and responsibility with every decision we make. Because we know if we make the wrong decision, we face the rebuke, the chastisement, and the discipline of God. But if we make the right decision, God is going to bless us and protect us and be with us. If we really believe this and have this kind of faith, it would change the trajectory of our lives. So what does it mean to have an unsinkable faith? And I don't want to dumb this down. I want us to get this. To have an unsinkable faith means embracing the warnings and the promises of God that we see in his word. But then second of all, it also means acting accordingly. Look with me in verse 7 again. It says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God, concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, he did what? He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, not only did Noah embrace the warning and the promise of God, what did he do with that? He built an ark, right? He embraced it. He had this unsinkable faith in the Lord, and that faith led him to do what? To be obedient. He just did something. Now, just, just ponder with me for a moment. Do you think Noah might have had some questions or some concerns? Well, Doug, you've already talked about the rain. Well, forget the rain for a minute. Forget the flood. Think about what God told, Mo, or told Noah to, to create. I mean, 
And if you were to look at the cubits that he's told to build this, he's basically building a boat the size of a football field, 100 yards in length and almost 50 yards wide. That's almost the size of this. I mean, in that day and time, it would have made his home look like a miniature of anything. I mean, it would have been like a minuscule compared to this. So God's telling Noah to build something that is unbelievably enormous. So do you think Noah might have said, listen, Lord, I'm not sure I've ever seen anything that big. Or, Lord, okay, you're telling me to build this? I've never built an ark. And, oh, by the way, God, what's an ark, right? But you know what? You don't see that in Noah's life. Here's what you see. So Noah built an ark. He was faithful to the Lord. Now, let me tell you why that's important for us to see that Noah just acted accordingly to what God said. It's because it reminds us, and it should remind us, and true for us, it reminds us this truth, that faith Without works, according to James, is what? Dead. And notice, if we say we have faith in the Lord, but yet we don't live like it, and our life does not reflect it, then there really is no faith at all, right? If we say we believe in God, we trust God, we believe that he is who he said he is, and that he'll do all that he's promised he will do, but yet we don't reflect it in our decision-making, we don't reflect it in any area of our life, then our faith without works is dead. Now, I'm not saying we work for our salvation, but what I am saying is this. If we truly have a relationship with Christ, Our life will reflect it. We will live a life of obedience to him. And we need to see that here in the story. The truth of the matter is this, is that Noah not only embraced the warnings and the promises of God, he acted accordingly. Now I want to challenge us all with this simple thought. And I believe with all my heart. How we live our lives, listen, how we live our lives is a true reflection of, of what we really believe. Now, we say all day long we believe this, but we live this way. Well, listen to me. How we live is the best reflection of what we believe. For example, there may be some people out there going, you know what, I believe with all my heart that Jesus was right, that the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. I believe that we live in a lost and a broken world that need to hear the gospel. I believe, I believe, I believe that we should be sharing our faith. Okay, great. Well, when's the last time you shared your faith? Well, Doug, you just don't understand. I have, oh, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. If you believe what you just said, wouldn't that be reflected in how you live your life? Well, Doug, I just don't have the opportunity. Wrong, you've had the opportunity. Well, Doug, you don't understand with COVID, I, no, 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 no. Excuses, Moses tried it, didn't work with him either. Here's the point. How we live is a reflection of what we really believe. So if we're not living a life of sharing the gospel and going after people, we don't really believe what Jesus said. Right? Because how we live is a reflection of what we really believe. For example, some of you might even say as parents, hey, I want my kids to grow up, and I want them to be godly young men or godly young ladies. I want them to be godly. And so then I would ask you this. Well, that's wonderful, but are you spending time investing in them? Are you disciplining your children? Are you training them the way they should go? Are you nurturing that and developing them? And you might say to me, well, Doug, I I want to, but I just kind of want to be the friend. You ever heard that one? Well, I'm just here to tell you. You're not called to be your kids' friends. You're called to be their parents. You're called to be their authority. You're called to be someone who is almost a mediator between them and the Heavenly Father that introduces the beauty and the greatness of the gospel to your kids, nurtures it, develops it, and encourages them to follow it. You're not called to be your kids' best friends. You're called to be godly parents. And so here's the whole point of that. How we live our life is a reflection of what we really believe. And having this kind of faith 
This kind of faith, this unsinkable faith, means that we need to act accordingly. So guess what Noah did? He built a boat, right? Now if you notice here, I'm going to go back to a verse. He says this here. It says that, um, that by faith Noah being warned by God concerning the events that yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. In other words, Noah just trusted God and he built the ark. He believed God is who he says he is. He will do all that he's promised, the warnings and the good things, and he just built an ark. Now listen, why did Noah build the ark? He built it, first of all, it says, out of reverent fear. In other words, his awe, his respect, and his reverence for a holy God is what motivated him to build it. But you know a second motivation to build that ark? Was to save his household. Don't miss that. If he had not built an ark... If he had not done the very thing God told him to do, guess what would have happened to Noah's family? They would have died too. And so when God told Noah to build an ark, Noah built the thing. Noah was faithful. He did what God told him to do. Why? Because he had this all this reverence, this respect for the Lord, but also he wanted to protect his family. And hear me on this. This is true for us as well. When we come to God's word and we see the warnings and we see the promises, we are, should be compelled to act accordingly, to live in a way of obedience to the Lord. And one of the motivations for us living in obedience to the Lord should be this. It should be our awe, our reverence, our respect, our adoration, our love for the Lord. That should be one of the reasons. Another reason we should be motivated to live this way and to act accordingly it's because how it might impact our family. Now hear me on this, parents. Hear me on this. I have raised two out of the home and I've got one still in the home. Raising kids, I know it's difficult. And it's hard enough when you try to live a life of obedience and let your kids see that. They still may wander off. But what we need to know is this. If you don't practice what you preach in your home, if you talk about Jesus at church, talk about Jesus to other people, but in the home, you don't bring Jesus into your home, you don't pray together, you don't spend time together, you don't make him part of your conversation. Listen, if you don't act in obedience to what you know in God's word in your home, you're at risk of losing your kids to the world. So it's important for us to do this. No, embrace the promises and the warnings of the Lord, but it's important for us also to act accordingly. Let me give you the third thing it means. It also means being a mouthpiece for God. Look with me in chapter 11, verse 7. The last half, it says this. By this, in other words, building the ark, he, being Noah, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, Noah was the mouthpiece of God. Here's what I mean by that. Noah was called by God to preach while he built. Now you say, well, Doug, when I go back to Genesis, I don't see Noah preaching any messages. Well, you don't see Noah doing that. But if you were to flip over to 2 Peter 2.5, you find out that Peter says that he was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, that while Noah was building the ark, there must have been conversations with people because guess what? They'd never seen an ark either right? They never seen an ark. They never seen rain. They had never seen floodwaters. So everything that Noah is saying about what's to come, they're probably looking at him with contempt like, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about. They're looking at him going, you are absolutely crazy. But Noah was the mouthpiece of God. He was a preacher of God's judgment. Not that Noah condemned them, as the passage said. Noah wasn't condemning them. The message that he was proclaiming to them as they had conversations was condemning them. That you people are so wicked that the loving Father who created this world is going to come and he's going to destroy everyone. The message of Noah was one, a condemnation to those who rebelled against God. Now think about it. Noah lived in a wicked time. 
In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, we see the wicked philosophies of the time. In Genesis 6, 11 through 13, we see the, this social plagues and the violence that went on today. Even in Luke's gospel, Jesus talked about the sexual perversion that went on during the time of Noah. But listen, even in the face of all the wickedness, Noah was faithful to preach the good news even when people ignored him. Did you hear that? He preached it even when people ignored him. Now, here's what that's important for us. Do we live in a wicked time too? Yeah. Do we live in a time of relativism like we talked about last week where everybody thinks their truth is the right truth? Yes. Do we live in a season of violence? Don't, can't turn your news on and not see that one. Do we live in a season where people are rebelling against God? Absolutely. Do we live in a season of sexual perversion? You can't. I mean, Yes. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we being the mouthpiece of God? Are we staying silent? Are we stepping up? I'm not saying you've got to stand on a street corner and shout at the top of your lungs, but every day we're in conversations. Every day we're around people who are living a life in rebellion to God, living in, around people who are committing sexual perverse things. I mean, we're living in a world of wickedness, and as we navigate this world, are we being the salt and the light of Jesus? Are we sharing the good news with how we live and how we act and the words that come out of our mouth? Are we being the mouthpiece of God like Noah, or are we staying silent? Now, here's something I want you to write down. Silence is evidence of our shallow faith. When we choose to stay silent and not share and tell people about the truth of this word and the truth of the love of God, our silence is a picture of our spiritual shallowness. We're shallow. Now, I'm not trying to call your name this morning, but I'm just saying it's true. If we really believe this stuff, if we're really going to act accordingly, aren't we going to be the mouthpiece of God? Sure we are. So many of us are scared of what the world's going to say that we stay silent. And I'm just telling you with a lot of love, your silence is a picture of your spiritual shallowness. And then let me give you one more thing it means. One more thing that it means to truly have an unsinkable faith. It means, lastly, remembering who we are. Are. Look at the very end of verse 7. It says this, By this he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, for, for Noah, by faith God bestowed on Noah his righteousness. By faith, Noah now, his position with God is accepted because of who Noah is, because of how Noah lived. And the same thing's true for us. I know we talked a little bit about it last week, but I just want to remind you this week, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have now taken on the righteousness of him. That now we stand before a holy God, and we are viewed acceptable to him, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has already done for us, and we've accepted it. So we are right before God because of Jesus. Now we're right before God, not because of practice, but because of position. In other words, not because anything we've done that was good, but because of what Christ has done for us. That's what that means. And we too, like Abraham, we too, like Abraham, are, need to remember who we are. That in Christ we are loved, we are cared for, we're accepted, we're adopted, we're co heirs with Jesus, and we are children of the Most High God. That's good news, isn't it? See, I believe one of the reasons we sink in our faith is because we forget who we are. So here's the question for us this morning, especially if you're a believer. Here's the question for you. 
Do you have the same kind of unsinkable faith that Noah had? Do you find yourself embracing the warnings and the promises of God's word? Do you find yourself taking those warnings and promises and acting according to those things? Do you find yourself being the mouthpiece of God and do you find yourself continually reminding yourself of who he is, what he's done for you, and who you are in Christ? Are you continually doing that? And if not, if you say, Doug, I don't have that kind of unsinkable faith. I, I, I've not been heeding the warnings and the promises of God. I've not been living the obedience I need to. I've not been the mouthpiece I'm called to. I've not spent time remembering, but I've forgotten. Listen, one of the things I always say when I was nine years old, and my prayer almost daily is this, that God, please don't let me forget the sweetness of what it meant to say yes to you. Don't let me forget the moment that when I said yes to you, that I know in my heart and my mind that that moment my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Don't let me forget in that moment when I was nine years old at vacation Bible school in June, when I said yes to Christ, that all of heaven was thrown a party. Lord, don't let me forget what you've done for me and who I am in you. And you said, Doug, I've forgotten. Listen, here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you make a commitment? Would you commit to put your eyes back on Jesus the author and perfect your faith, and would you commit to spending more time in his word, hearing his warnings and promises? Would you, spend, would you commit to a greater level of obedience in your life to his word? Would you commit to be not only his mouthpiece, but a vessel that he uses to reach this world? And would you commit to spending time remembering what he's done for you? And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm just asking you this morning, would you make those commitments and then if you're not a follower of Christ, I want to say this to you. The ark is a beautiful picture of something for us. You know what it's a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus. See, the ark was the only way of escape for all the people in that day. You know what? One day, one day, Jesus is coming again. One day we are going to stand before a holy God and give an account for all of us how we lived our lives. And there's one question every single one of us is going to have to answer, and it's this question. What did we do and what did we believe about Jesus? What do we do and what do we believe about him? And I'm telling you, the only way that you can escape the wrath of God and eternity in a place called hell is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is our ark. And we need to surrender our lives to him. And maybe somebody watching this morning, you need to do that by saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus down the cross and he's the only way to you. And I surrender my life to you. Would you be the boss and master of mine? And if you don't know Christ today, would you pray that prayer? I'm going to ask everybody right now, just take a moment and bow your heads. Close your eyes and let's pray together. God, I love you. Man, I thank you for this passage. I know it's one verse, but it just, for me, this unpacks, Lord, so many truths that we see in the life of Noah that, that are just so profound. And I want us as believers to know that if we're going to have an unsinkable faith, that means we have to embrace the warnings and the promises of your word. That means we have to act accordingly and live a life of obedience to that word. It means that we have to be a mouthpiece for you and be a vessel to be used by you. It also means we need to spend time remembering what you've done for us and who we are in Christ. So God, I pray for believers. Maybe they feel like their faith, that they're just treading water, that their faith is sinking. Like, like Peter when he took his eyes off Christ as he walked the water and began to fall. Some of us feel like that's where we're at in our lives spiritually. And so God, I pray for believers this morning that we would take our eyes off our circumstances and we would put them back on Christ. 
and that we would make the commitment of getting into your word. We would make a commitment of obeying your word. That we would make the commitment of being a vessel used by you and we would make a commitment of never forgetting all that you've done for us and who we are. And then God, I pray for the one who doesn't know you. Today, may you somehow in a supernatural way draw a, a picture and connect the dots for them that Jesus is our ark. He is the only way to escape the judgment that's going to come and the only way to experience salvation. And I pray someone receives that today. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for who you are. And we ask you to be with us in this time. And may we be faithful to respond as you're leading us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. And amen.